time to screw the norms. To fit in, we often hide what's on our minds, who we really are, or who we want to be, or even what we want to do. But now you're having the right conversations. Here, we'll talk about sex, relationships, and mental health, and how they interact with each other and so many other aspects of life. Shame can't survive when we're honest and curious with each other and ourselves. It's time for your mind to scream less and for you to screw more. I'm Rachel Wright, a non-monogamous queer psychotherapist and your host. Hello, my friends, and welcome back to The Right Conversations. Today is an episode that I wish I had listened to when I was like... I don't know, probably like 15, 16. Um, The topic that, well, let me just tell you the title of the episode. Today's episode is a conversation about people pleasing with Haley McGee. And if you recognize that name, it's probably because I share her stuff all the time on Instagram. Um, I'm going to let her introduce herself and we're going to dive in. And I may talk a little bit about my past with people pleasing because that's been something that I have struggled with my whole life, essentially. Um, But we're going to dive in. So Haley, welcome, welcome, welcome. Yeah. Hi, Rachel. Uh, So glad we're talking. Thanks for having me. Of course. (laughs) Thank you for being here. Uh, Will you tell everybody who you are, what you do, any, anything you want to share about yourself? For sure. For sure. So hi, everybody. My name is Haley McGee. I am a certified coach and educator and writer. And my whole thing is that I work with folks on breaking the people-pleasing pattern and setting empowered boundaries. Um, I love this stuff. I too have a a storied past (laughs) of (laughs) people-pleasing. But yeah, in that work I do, I've worked one-on-one with clients, host workshops, um, and and write. And I love it. Um, Love. Yeah. Love. So why don't we start with how you got into this? Like, what was it about this topic that spoke to you? Was it you realizing that you were doing it? Like, how how did you get here? Yeah, it was a mixture of like, I can say two things. I think on the one hand, my whole life, I have been interested in how people get access to their own voices I actually went to school for politics, which is kind of out of left field considering the work that I do now, right? And I also spent some time in the music industry, and now I'm a coach who works on people-pleasing. And the the kind of thread of all of that is like, how can people feel like they have empowered access to their own voices, right? To, to advocate for themselves mm-hmm. or speak up for themselves. So that's always been an interest of mine, probably because I struggled with that. Um, And then the second part is personal. Like I always, you know, it was funny. I was always like very confident at work and and I felt like I was achieving, but in my intimate relationships, especially, I felt like it was so hard for myself to speak up and say what I meant. You know, everything from telling a partner that, oh, I'd really prefer, you know, Mexican food tonight. (laughs) Or like, you know, the simple things, you know, sexual boundaries were always a challenge. Just yeah, speaking up for myself. And I really think it was after a particular breakup I went through, I kind of realized the extent to which I'd I'd lost myself in that connection. And Mm. that was kind of the pivotal moment that led me down this particular path. So let's start there. Why in your work, why is it so hard 
for people to say no, to say their preference, to send the drink back that they don't like, to tell their partner they don't want to have sex, to tell their mom they can't go on the family trip. Like in your experience, where does this come from? Yeah, it can have a lot of origins. I think ultimately the the common thread that weaves them all together is we people please in order to feel some sense of safety. Mm. Um, Safety could mean like in the very literal sense, like avoiding um, like a volatile person's violence, but -hmm. it could also mean emotional safety, like feeling like if I people please, I will then be seen or valued or cherished. Um, There's also the social justice element of people pleasing, which is like in our culture, if you're a member of some a marginalized group, like if you're neurodivergent or a person of color, you may feel this pressure to people please and perform a false self in order to not experience others like stigma or harassment. Mm. Um, and this is true with like, you know, non-monogamy and relationship constructs and everything. So, you know, I think a lot of us who people please learned in early life at some time that unless we kind of shape-shifted and were extra accommodating, we would not be seen or loved or on the other hand we might be exposed to actual like violence and so Um, yeah harm i think it's a way we get by so when people okay wow i have like five thousand questions just entered into my head this is how (laughs) y'all know that i don't prepare questions and just go with it is i'm like oh uh, uh." (laughs) okay rewind so let's i would love to hear kind of your definition of codependency people pleasing and boundaries. Ooh, okay, definition. So, <laughs> let's start with people pleasing because that's kind of the the frame Perfect. that I've come to use most frequently. So, I define people pleasing as the act of chronically prioritizing other people's needs, wants, or feelings at the expense of and to the detriment of our own needs, wants, or feelings. Um, It's kind of wordy, but I think the reason I use this definition is that it's a chronic thing. People pleasing, you know, isn't doing something nice for your neighbor one day. Like there's such a big difference between being kind and being people pleasing. And and we can kind of touch on that later if we want to. But so that's how I think of people pleasing. Um, Boundaries are what how I conceptualize boundaries as being kind of the kind of like the containers or statements that separate us from other people. Um, They are kind of self-protective mechanisms that help us discern where we end and another person begins. Um, Boundaries can be physical, like, you know, not engaging in physical touch. They can be emotional, not taking responsibility for someone else's emotions. Um, And at their base sense, they're kind of helping us differentiate between ourselves and others. Um, this is really, I feel like I'm taking a test. <laughs> this is so I'm fun. Sorry. No, no, no. It's great. This is great practice for me. And then codependency, you know, this is such an interesting and loaded phrase. Um, mm-hmm. cause like what codependency means has evolved since it first yes. came to attention and like the, what was it like the eighties or something? Mm-hmm. Um, but really, you know, I think of codependency as the experience of losing our sense of self in another person um, or another entity. Um, And typically codependency manifests as, you know, self-neglect, difficulty taking care of ourselves, difficulty asserting boundaries, and basically becoming like this 
amorphous entity <laughs> that that has no sense of clear self. So yeah. what do you think of those? <laughs> I, I love them. I love them. And I, I couldn't agree with you more. The the definitions, um, not so much of people pleasing. I think that that one has stayed pretty consistent, right. but the the concepts and the way that we use the terms codependency and the way that we use the term boundaries has changed so much over the years. And, right. you know, similar to the way that society has kind of co-opted terms like gaslighting and attachment style. Um, these are all things that like come from psychology that have become so much more mainstream that people over time, it's like the game of telephone, you know, and, and they get used incorrectly once. And then it's like used even more incorrectly the next time, and then even more incorrectly the following time. And so I have heard things like, you know, don't gaslight me. That's a boundary. And what's really happening is like someone is saying that they disagree with an experience and that person doesn't want to talk about it anymore. Like right. there's not even gaslighting and boundaries at play here. They're just, they're grasping for these words. So I really appreciate you defining them. And I agree with that. I, um, so I have, I mentioned a little earlier, I have a, a layered past with, with people pleasing, <laughs> um, and codependency. And, um, I, I remember being, I think I was 18, 18 or 19. And my therapist gave me the book, the disease to please. Mm, and yep. at the, the front classic. of it, right. It's so good. It's so good. And at the front of it has this quiz of like, what kind of people pleaser are you? And I got like all of them. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember coming into her office the night for my next session. And I was like crying in the waiting room. And she's like, what is, you know what's going on and i'm like i got all of them i'm so fucked up <laughs> and she later on encouraged me to go to a coda meeting which is codependence anonymous and i sat in this meeting and i was so glad that she had me go because haley i was sitting there and i was listening to people who were you know at the time 30 40 50 years my senior wow and they were talking about what happened over the last 20 years of being codependent. And it was like, I got to look at a time machine and be like, oh, fuck me. If I don't stop doing these things that I'm rationalizing as small, I'm going to be in this group when I'm 70. That's right. Yep. I think that exercise of kind of projecting into the future, like if I change nothing, and things continue on as they are, what will it look like in five, 10, 20 years? So valuable because it, what, talk about, you know, incentive to change patterns, right? Yeah. So what are some of the most common things that you see in terms of whether it's people pleasing or codependency or a lack of boundaries? What comes up a lot with, with people who you work with? Mm, such a good question. And something I'll say is that it really, it really spans like there's such a breadth of ways that this pattern manifests, which I want to name because I think a lot of people hear this word people pleaser and or codependency or whatever um, and are like, oh, no, I'm not this because I am confident. Oh, yep. I'm not this because I I'm high achieving in my workplace and I, I do such and such thing. And I think the insidious thing about these patterns is that they can kind of creep in 
in certain areas of our lives, um, like I think fundamentally the biggest thing I work with people on is boundary setting. And this can happen, you know, you might imagine the enmeshed daughter who who struggles to set boundaries with a narcissistic mother. You might imagine I work a lot with uh, spouses or people who are in romantic partnerships and really struggle to assert present moment sexual boundaries. Um, I work a lot with people who seem to be like outgrowing friendships, but can't bring themselves to really disengage from relationships that they know are, are not working for them any longer. Um, and in all of these cases, it's like, we are all just like so hungry. We're like craving permission to do the things that our gut is telling us we need to do for our well-being, <laughs> but yeah. we've been told over and over again by various sources throughout our lives that like, oh, that's selfish. That's too demanding. You're not entitled to those needs or feelings. Yeah. So how do you, how do you help people? Because I know that this is even now. I, I, you know, fast forward years, and like I still consider myself a recovering people pleaser, and it has significantly shifted. Like so different. I mean, people who knew me then are like, wow, she's kind of a bitch now. Like that's <laughs> like the difference about what's going on. Yeah. Um, but I'm curious, like, oh, now I lost my train of thought. Oh, well, I think you were asking kind of how I work specifically with people to like do this stuff. Yes. 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 So someone comes to you and they're like, okay, Haley, I want to I want to stop. I want to stop doing this. I see it in my life. Yep. Where do they begin? Yep. So I think of it as a three-stage, a three-stager. <laughs> um, first stage is what I like to think of it as an excavation. You know how like archaeologists <laughs> go on a dig and they like dig up dinosaur bones? Like yeah. what, we have to excavate the self that has been buried beneath layers and layers of people pleasing, right? Layers and layers of putting other people first. Mm -hmm. So the first step is always, and this, this takes time, you know, it's not an overnight thing, but it's developing the habitual practice of looking within and learning to identify our own feelings, our own needs, and our own values. We got to mm. start there, right? Because we can't set boundaries around our needs if we can't identify them. Right. And that's really something I think that a lot of us struggle with. So excavation is first. Then we move into, you know, the work of boundary setting. So taking what we know about ourselves and learning to communicate that and assert that in our relationships with others. So setting the boundary with the spouse, leaving the toxic workplace, um, saying no, and kind of doing that interpersonal work. Um, a lot of times I feel like the conversation ends there, but the third thing I work with people on, and in my opinion, it's like perhaps the most important, is then soothing through the inevitable like growing pains that accompany this stuff because when you think about it like we're having a huge identity shift when we stop yeah. people pleasing all of a sudden it's exactly like you said like i'm such a bitch now right we it's painful to let go of that over accommodating identity and we're like oh god am i demanding am i, am I an asshole no i feel so guilty i feel so afraid i feel so existentially untethered and so the third part is all about giving us tools to like normalize those growing pains. Be like, this is normal. Of course you feel this way. You're breaking super duper old patterns, probably intergenerational ones. And like soothing through that. 
not making them go away entirely because I don't think that's possible. And like Mm -hmm. anyone who promises you that is lying and probably trying to sell you something, (laughs) but (laughs) you know, but soothing through. So that's kind of the process that I would lead someone through. I love that. And I I remember the more specific question besides the general one I was going to ask you, which (laughs) is how can someone differentiate between being selfish and not people pleasing, not setting a boundary? Like where in your Mm. experience, where's that line between and is there a line? Mm. This is really tricky because I think this is probably very, you know, individual, right? It's hard to say like this act is selfish and this one is, you know, people pleasing because there's such a spectrum. I would generally say for someone who has a (laughs) a history of people pleasing, my first advice is always, you know, your selfishness meter is out of whack. Mm -hmm. So you're going to perceive something as being selfish when in fact, this is a standard boundary that most people assert without even thinking twice. (laughs) So that's usually the first thing I think about is like, all right, the meter's probably out of whack just to start. Um, But I really think we can kind of discern that using our values. Um, I, I come, I'm a coach, right? So like a lot of my training in my certification had to do with using our values as like compass points for Mm -hmm. making difficult decisions. And so those of us just because we're breaking the people pleasing pattern doesn't mean we're like throwing away our values of empathy and generosity and loyalty and kindness. It just means that we are also beginning to apply those values to ourselves also yeah. <laughs> and not just another person. So honestly, Rachel, yeah, like, I don't know if I can be like, this is the line, but I do think that there are ways of asking like, am I, prioritizing my own needs in a way that aligns with my integrity and my empathy, I guess. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Oh, no, that, that makes total sense. You mentioned standard boundaries and I'm wondering if there are any kind of typical boundaries that you see folks who are struggling with people pleasing or codependency um, that they struggle with setting that other folks you don't see struggle with and what what some of those are oh like the sort of canonical these are the tough ones yeah 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 i'd say oh let's see what really comes up a lot i think maybe perhaps the most fundamental one is boundaries with family members um Mm. because you know i mean as you know right there's so much in those relationships there's silent agreements there's enmeshment there's you know patterns that have been at play for decades and so if a lot of my clients are in their 40s and 50s they're beginning to break this pattern and yet they have been in relationships with you know their parents for example for 50 years and so it's like whoa how do i break this pattern like they know me as the daughter who always say says yes so as you alluded to earlier right if i don't want to go on the family trip this year how do I say that? What do I do? Um, so I think boundaries around taking space or distance from family are very common and very challenging. And I mean, I, I've been there. <laughs> Those yeah. are the hardest boundaries I've ever set for sure. Um, are, another, are there, oh yeah, oh, go ahead. No, no, go. <laughs> I was just going to say like another big one is like, as I alluded to earlier, like sexual boundaries are something mm. that I really have to talk about with clients. There's not a lot of like, you know, 
I think people, there's a lot of shame and silence around this. So people feel like they really need an avenue to discuss this. Um, and then the third big one is probably like outgrowing friendships is another area that's very common. The honeypot is more than the products in your bathroom cabinet. It's embracing that time of the month. It's staying balanced through the ups and downs, good sex and bad sex. It's exploring, it's learning, it's plant-derived. Powered by herbs and science, the first complete personal care system to get you what you need when you need it. Check out The Honeypot at Target, Walmart, Walgreens, and on thehoneypot.co. You can enter code RACHEL20, that's R-A-C-H-E-L-2-0, for 20% off your first Honeypot order on thehoneypot.co. Will you walk us through the outgrowing friendships part piece? Like, what do you see happen? How does one communicate this? I think that one of the biggest forms of people-pleasing that I see in my work, are, are people staying in relationship, whether that's platonic, romantic, sexual, familial, staying because they have a perceived obligation yeah. and or they are so terrified to have the conversation that they wind up either like ghosting unintentionally because they just don't want to respond. And it becomes this really anxiety inducing thing. And I'm, I'm wondering how you would, how you would recommend people to go about that. Yeah. Oh my God. The ghosting. It's so interesting how it's really like when we struggle to set boundaries that we need, ghosting and avoiding and procrastinating are, I call them boundary setting signposts. Like they're such wonderful signs that like something in this needs to shift because I'm avoiding the hell out of it. Right. Yeah. Um, and yeah, the outgrowing thing. I mean, it's so, it's so funny, you know, um, I think we need to normalize this more. Um, the outgrowing, like I, I made a reel about this weeks ago, but it's kind of this idea that like, you know how, when you're in like first grade and you come home from school and you're like, oh, you know, you're talking to your caregiver, your parent, whatever. And you're like, oh, mom, like me and Bethany, like aren't really friends anymore because like she's doing cheerleading and I'm doing band. And the parent usually says like, yeah, honey, like that's normal. Like you're still figuring out who you are and what you love. And so, you know, friendships will change as you get older. Right. And The way I see it is like, I think this same logic applies to those of us breaking the people pleasing pattern, because in similar to like a a first grader, we too are like for the very first time identifying who we are and what we love and what we want um, in ways we like haven't done before. So of course our relationships are going to, some of them are going to start feeling like shirts that are too small, (laughs) like they don't fit. Mm. And I think normalizing that is incredibly important. And um, I think like an outgrowing a relationship doesn't need to mean that you leave it entirely. It can mean that, of course. Like we may come to a point where we're like, this relationship actually has some really harmful patterns. I feel entirely unseen by this person. You know, it's it's 0% reciprocal and that's okay. Um, There are also friendships or relationships where instead of having this like black or white thinking all or nothing, we can think about like, what are some boundaries I can inject into this connection that will make it feel more tenable for me? Mm. Whether that means like seeing the person a little less frequently, communicating less often, um, even changing our own expectations of what this relationship can become are all ways we can like mitigate that, you know? Oh, I love this so much. I, 
it's so hard to broach these conversations and it's so hard to acknowledge it within ourselves and like just name for ourselves. Like, mm, I know that I've been friends with this person for 20 years and I don't know if I want to continue. Right. And it's, and how, and so many people like this story, I just want to say for anyone listening, who's like, oh yeah, I felt like this is so common. I talk with clients about this. Mm. I mean, I literally have a workshop about this exact topic because the demand for it was so high because people were like, I'm outgrowing this 20 year friendship. And there's this incredibly deep feeling, like you said, of like obligation or like, because we share this history, I am indebted to them forever. And yeah, I remember once, like I was, I grappled with this a lot in the past year in my personal life. And I remember once my good friend, Callie, she was like listening to me talk about a friendship that I just felt so unseen within. Mm -hmm. Um, I felt like it was all about the other person. I couldn't get a word in edgewise. I felt so viscerally resentful, but there was a history. I didn't know what to do. I was like, but I, I owe them. Like we've been friends for so long. And my friend Callie just straight up was like, Haley, you realize that your relationships, your friendships don't exist for you to serve another person, right? Mm -hmm. Like they are meant to be a reciprocal exchange of time and energy. And if you're not getting anything out of a friendship, you are under no obligation to just keep giving indefinitely. And I was like, oh my God, you're right. <laughs> Yeah, it's like, oh, it's I'm not. That's not what this is about. Right? Wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. what happens when you go to have this conversation? You go to set this boundary. You you the person is like, "Okay, I'm going to stand up against my own people-pleasing tendencies. I got I understand the difference. I am people-pleasing. It's not just kindness. I'm going to do it." And the person responds with a guilt trip. Guilt trips suck, right? <laughs> I hate that response. It's like, oh my God. Yeah. I mean, I, I think guilt is probably a guilt trip is like the people pleasers worst nightmare, right? It's like you, by guilting me, you're affirming all of the negative stories I'm telling myself about myself right now. Yeah. It's terrible. Like it, yeah. it, it's one of the only things that still can get to me depending on who it is. Yeah, man. I mean, that is so tough because I think like, Okay. So when we're guilt tripped, which objectively sucks, I think the most important thing we can do in that moment is, um, I, I like to use the phrase, like we need to center our own reality. Um, what I mean by that is like when someone guilt trips us, it's very easy to, um, kind of like have so much empathy for their feelings that we're forgetting our side of the story. Like, mm. oh, you're right. I am such a bad friend. I am. I am doing something so mean. Like, I'm the worst. But in doing that, we kind of leave our own reality, our own experience of the friendship uh, to wither away. And I think when we're guilted, it's really important to hearken back to the self. Like, I, I don't know if you like meditate and stuff, Rachel, but you know how like in meditations, they they use this phrase, like, come back to the breath. Yeah. Yeah. Like, so when you feel your mind wandering, you say, come back to the breath, like over and over. It's like a mantra. I like to think that like those of us breaking the people pleasing pattern need to use the mantra, come back to the self, come back to the self, because we're going to catch ourselves being try trying to be pulled into someone else's emotions 
And we need to consistently practice coming back to us and saying, what are my needs? What are my feelings? And what is the core? Like, why am I making this decision to take space in this connection? Um, Because we have really good reasons. Like, none of us do this very hard thing just for fun, right? Like, we're hurting. And I think we can get through a guilt trip more easily when we honor our own hurt and our own reasons behind it. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I I really, and frankly, I really appreciate the acknowledgement of like, they suck. Mm-hmm. They so, suck. They're the most painful thing. Like guilt. Yeah. Guilt really sucks. <laughs> do you actually... Oh, Ooh, could I, I just wanted to add one thing to this Yeah, because as you said that I realized there's one more tool. There's a, there's a bunch of tools you can use for guilt resiliency, but one of my favorites, especially around outgrowing relationships of any kind is flipping the script. And like, what I mean by that is we can ask ourselves, like, would I want to stay in a relationship with someone who I knew didn't want to stay in a relationship with me? Like, because it's super dishonest, right? Like when we're out growing a relationship, it's really common for us to like vent about them to other people or feel angry about them or spend time with them out of a sense of obligation or even pity. And all of this is happening. The other person has no idea. So when we outgrow a relationship and communicate that, it's it's painful. And yes, the other person might be hurt, but at least we're being honest. And I just... I'll, that's the thing, like flipping the scripts. Like I wouldn't want someone to hang out with me out of pity and obligation. No, right. thank you. Right? right. Like I'd rather rip off the bandaid. So that can be a helpful tool if, if you're in that place as well. That's very helpful. Very, very helpful. Do you find that it's different setting boundaries with platonic people, romantic and or sexual people and family members? Well, I think like a lot of the things we say and like the mechanisms of boundary setting tend to be the same. I do think that the emotional experiences tend to be really different. Can you speak more to that? Yeah. Well, I think like a lot of, and I'm not saying setting boundaries with friends is easy, but historically when I've like polled people or asked folks about this, they tend to say that boundaries in romantic relationships and familial relationships are harder or hardest. And I think a lot of that is because, um, I mean, with family, we've got, again, age old patterns that we're breaking. There's a lot of attachment stuff going on. There might be, we're, we're enmeshed in the family system. Um, we've always played this role that we're now breaking. And especially in romantic situations, when we start talking about like attachment theory, um, it can be really horrifying to risk setting a boundary and feel like we run the risk of then being like abandoned by a partner. You know, it's like, mm -hmm. I, I have to meet this person exactly where they want to be met or else I won't be lovable anymore. Or on the flip side, it's like, I really need some space and distance from this person. But if I ask them for that, I'm terrified that I won't be good enough for them and I won't be able to meet their needs. And so all of this like really, really deep fear can surface in this process. Okay. I want to ask you one more thing and then we're going to go into a little bit of a wrap up. Yeah. Breakups. Oof. They suck How too. do you, yeah, truly, truly. 
how in your work do you experience people pleasing and boundaries and codependency and how they interact with breakups? Hmm. I'll say, I'll start with a personal thing because a breakup was my entry to this world. Um, I went through this one. I feel like we all have one or God, hopefully not more, but like at least one pivotal breakup that just like rocks our world, you know, and completely like changes our perspective of what reality even is. And I know for me, when I went through that breakup, that just, again, sucked. Um, it kind of opened my eyes to a couple things. One was this, this sounds really naive, but at the time I could not believe that despite my very best efforts, I gave 110%. I tried so hard to control the outcome of this relationship. And at the end, he still left. And mm. it made me really reckon with my limited control over other people's decisions. And for the person who grapples with people pleasing or codependency, control is all wrapped up in that. Um, it's this idea that if we're just good enough or accommodating enough or try hard enough, we can manipulate. And I don't mean that in a malicious way, but we can manipulate the outcome of situations to be what we need. A lot of us learn this pattern, you know, in, in childhood. I won't get into that right now. But so there's this reckoning of when we're broken up with or we experience a breakup, this isn't in my control. I can't control the outcome. I can't change this person into being the person I need them to be. And that's really hard. Um, and the second piece is there was this book that I read after my breakup by a guy named Ross Rosenberg. It's called The Human Magnet Syndrome. And he talks about how folks who grapple with codependency are often drawn like magnets to folks who are more um, narcissistic. And anyway, uh, in the book, he uses this phrase to describe what codependent people experience after a breakup. And he used the phrase pathological loneliness. And I was like, whoa, <laughs> like that's a really intense word. But it describes the, and maybe folks who are listening will relate to this, like the utter sense of lack of a sense of self that emerges when we go through a breakup. Because when we're used to experiencing ourselves through the validation and affirmation of others, when we find ourselves like single or alone or without a particular partner anymore, we can feel like we're gone, like there's nothing of us left. And I, I don't know, that was the most painful feeling I've ever felt. I remember feeling it yeah. and I was like, I will do whatever it takes to never feel this lost from myself again. And I don't know, just for anyone listening who's like feeling that way or has felt that way, it really sucks. But I think that recovering from these patterns is how we avoid ever feeling that again. Amen. <laughs> like could, could just could not agree more. Yeah. Could not agree more. Oh, it's a rough feeling. Breakups yeah. are really, I mean, and for many of us, you know, it's that thing. It's like, it's the dark night of the soul before we start healing. You know, right. and so I think framing breakups is just like, this really sucks, but maybe this is leading me in the direction of the healing I need. Hmm. Love that. Okay. So this is, <laughs> I want you to just take the floor. Anything that you want 
the humans listening to hear, learn, know, feel. It's yours. Mm, Oh, man. Well, thank you. Gosh. I mean, I think when we are stuck in these patterns of people pleasing and codependency, it's really easy to feel alone. It's really easy to feel broken. It's really easy to just feel like we're not taking the reins of our lives the way we should. And these patterns don't come out of nowhere. We shouldn't pathologize ourselves for this. We shouldn't beat ourselves up for this. You know, as we open the episode saying, these patterns are typically ways of staying safe. They're like outdated coping mechanisms we learn throughout our lives as a means of getting love and attention, which every human craves. And so, I don't know, I think there's so much room for gentleness in this healing work. Um, and, and it's possible, <laughs> it's possible to heal. Like, you know, Rachel, you and I both said like, yep. you know, now sometimes we feel like bitches and we yep. feel <laughs> like we're demanding and selfish and, you know, it's, it's normal. I think it's just like, I don't know. I really just want to say like, I've been doing this healing work for six years and I have been flabbergasted by the change that's possible. Like I literally remember writing in my journal one time, maybe I was like 22. I just had an awful night, lots of people pleasing. And I just wrote like, this sounds so melodramatic, but I swear to God, I wrote this down. I was like, if I can learn how to speak up for myself before I die, I will die a happy woman. And it sounds like melodrama, but I swear it was how I felt in that moment. It felt impossible. I was like, I will never learn this. And I have, and like, we can. So I guess that's kind of what I want to say is like, it can be done. Thank you. 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 Like truly, and not just for being here today and taking the time and and the energy, but thank you for, thank you for your work in the world. Thanks, Rachel. (laughs) Really, truly, you are doing something very special. That means so much to me. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. If people want to get in touch with you, learn more from you, if they're not already following you on social media, where can people find you? Yeah, the best place would probably be Instagram at Haley Page McGee. And then if you're curious about my workshops, my courses, my group coaching program, you can find me at HaleyMcGee.com. We're actually enrolling right now for our January cohort of the Say No Club, which is a boundary setting group coaching program that runs for six weeks. And you can find all that on my website. Amazing. Yay. Amazing. Amazing. (laughs) Thank you again. Thank you. Thank you. And everyone, if you're not following Haley on Instagram, please do so. You will not regret it. I promise. Thanks, Rachel. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Anytime. We'll have to do this again. Yes, this was awesome. Seriously, thank you. And thanks for the amazing questions. My brain is like, ooh, got to think about those. (laughs) Yay. That's my hope. That's all for today, you sexy folks. What questions came to mind as you were listening? Continue the conversation with me over on Instagram at the right underscore Rachel. And don't forget, please leave a rating and a review so that we can continue erasing shame and stigma together. <laughs>